We know now that in the early years of the 20th century, this world was being watched closely by intelligences greater than man's. Men from Moto. Digital strategies with Travis Sowers and David Seville. Intellect, vast, cool, and unsympathetic. Broadcast to the world with the uncanny help of Mana Deprived and FaceToFaceGames.com. Greetings, people of Earth. We are the men from Moto, and you are listening to episode number 40, Flashback to Innistrad. I have a special guest with me this week, as Dave Seville has gone to escape the brutal winter in the tundras of Canada by going to the United States. Uh, so I thought I'd invite someone else from the tundra. I have with me Tommy Tuovinen. Did I, did I get that close? Yeah, that was very good. Better known to you guys and gals as Iserok. Hello. Um, and what we're going to do today is kind of walk through the triple Innistrad draft format to get you ready for the Innistrad flashbacks that will be coming out this Wednesday on Magic Online. Uh, before we dive in, I did want to introduce you to Tommy, a.k.a. Iserok, let you kind of know what he's about, what he does on his stream, and a little bit about his history. Um, so let's let's kind of start there. What What is your stream like? Tell me a little bit about yourself. What is my stream like? Uh, I, I stream with my co-host, Ling, also known as Antti Hyttinen. Uh, we do this uh sort of a unique dual casting that you don't often see on magic streams and we definitely stream for a for a, a casual and entertainment value so we're not competitive in any shape or form we do all the weird and funny things that we we can possibly do in all the draft formats you've already won with the treasure card in Ixalan i won with that in my pre-release actually Okay, yeah, so that's sort of what people can expect oh, yes. there is. Any sort of weird combos, you're going to be going for it. Um, what's your history with Magic? How long have you been doing this thing? Originally, I started in, you know, the traditional story. I started in high school or something. I can't actually remember what age I was, probably like around 12 or something. Played casually with my couple of my friends and my cousins you know, scraping the scraping the magic cards on the pavement without any sleeves, as it was tradition back in the day. <laughs> yeah. And then, then most of us just stopped. I I stopped around Kamigawa. So I have like a I have a couple of cards from Kamigawa, including a top which I actually got rid of when it was still expensive. And then me and Ling both returned to Magic. I can't remember why, but it was just like we decided to return to Magic. And that was at the very beginning of Gate Crash. So that would be around five and a half years ago. Somewhere around there, yeah. yeah. And ever since that, I have gone to almost every single FNM and pre-release that my LGS has provided for me. And for the stream part, that started actually, that's now two years ago almost. Yeah, I was thinking it's been about two yeah, years. We started in the Christmas two years ago. When there was a Vintage Cube event. I, I actually had been thinking about starting streaming for longer than that. But then that was that was the, like the tipping point. It was like, we're going to do this. He, he came over here into my apartment. We sat here together on, on this couch that you can see in my stream. And we decided that, hey, let's put this online. Why not? There, let's, what, do we, what do we lose by 
sharing our experiences online. Yeah, and I, I I can tell you some of the most enjoyable cube drafts that I've watched have been you and Ling doing that. So I I want to have you back when Vintage Cube is coming on again and have you walk me through how to draft that. I've had you join me on stream to teach me how to draft Storm because I had no idea how to do it. Um, and I think we had Storm Gorger Hydra as our win condition, as is tradition in the most most peculiar Storm drafts. Yeah, yeah, as as is tradition. Um, and then how did you and Ling meet? You guys are kind of like the duo on the stream. Like, were you guys friends from childhood or meet in university or something? Sort of. We actually met at an event called Assembly, which is sort of this like Finnish version of if you ever, ever heard of Dream, Dreamcast, I think it was. Dream. I haven't. Oh God, I forgot what's his name. But it's basically like a multiple thousands of people gather up for a massive LAN party. In, in like one of the convention centers here in Finland. Okay, okay. The original point of the event is to share and show like competitive demo scene. Not not gaming that much, but, but just like demos that people create visually, graphically, audio, all that sort of like uh, very artistic sort of way of, of showing off the power of computers. But... You know, lately it's been turned more into a LAN party, like a traditional let's play four days full of games. Sounds fun. Yeah, but that was like back in... We actually tried to remember which year it was, but it's likely 2005 that we met. Okay. Okay. Well, cool. Uh, I want to take now any anything else you'd like to add about your stream or anything else you want to talk about before we dive into this? Mm, Stormcom 12. <laughs> okay, excellent. So what I want to do here is we've got Innistrad flashbacks coming on Wednesday to Magic Online. And flashbacks are some of the most awesome things about Magic Online from my perspective because I can go draft really old formats, but they're also usually out for a limited time and I can feel a little bit nervous going into them. I had a terrible experience drafting Lorwyn for the first time because I had no idea what I was doing and you really need to know what you're doing for that format. Um, Innistrad is considered by most people to be in the top five draft formats of all time. So I wanted to make sure that we kind of had a, a way for you to feel like you can get some preparation, jump in there and be ready to draft this format without feeling like you're, you're playing against people who know what they're doing when you don't. So that's all we're looking to do here is give you a little bit of a head start. Um, kind of like the world setting was a really cool one too. It's set up for Halloween with vampires and zombies and spirits and ghosts and all of that cool stuff. But I, I'm going to focus on the mechanics here and have uh, Tommy run us through kind of the four main mechanics for Innistrad. All right. So Innistrad had some, some of these mechanics we've already seen printed again, since they were so well received during Innistrad. And the first one of them is transform cards, uh, actually officially known as double faced cards. And, uh, most of these most of these transform cards they're like they have a condition that makes them flip over to the back side of the card some of these like for example a cloistered youth is a one on a white for a one one human that says at the beginning of your upkeep uh you may transform this it just like you can just transform it and then it transforms into a three three horror that makes you like lose a life at the end of your end step i think correct yes and there are transform cards in 
Actually, is there in all colors in the original one? I believe that there are. There are, but they're mostly red and green. Yeah, most of them are werewolves, yeah. which have a little werewolf mechanic, which if I remember is, if nobody casts any spells this turn, you transform them, and then when somebody casts two spells, you transform them again. So they kind of flip back and forth a lot. Right. All right, and then the second mechanic is flashback, which is a flashback to an older set. And I can't remember, was the original set that flashback was in? I think it was, I remember playing with it in Odyssey yeah, for sure. I was sure. thinking Odyssey too, but I have never played in Odyssey, so... Well, I to tell. Uh, but this flashback is a mechanic that says you may pay the cost. Like, uh, with the card in your graveyard, you may cast it from your graveyard by paying the flashback cost. And you will get the same effect that the original spell had. Which is almost similar to what Amonkhet had in, uh, in the... Actually, Hour of Devastation had in the, the split card. What are they called again? Aftermath. Aftermath card, right. But with flashback, you always get the same effect as the as the original card, unless otherwise specified. Mm-hmm. Then we had Morbid, which is actually similar to Revolt, but only works if a creature you controlled, if a key, any creature died this turn, and it specifically needed to die, unlike in Revolt, which is actually leave the battlefield. Hugely relevant for like exile effects or unsummon effects, which do not make morbid trigger, and often, often just it was like an additional benefit on your card. For example, a Fester Hide Boar that was a three and a greed for a three-three trample creature, pig obviously, and if you had, <laughs> if you had morbid, it entered with two plus one plus one counters on it, so it was just a four and a five-five trample. And one of the most traditional ones was the Tragic Slip, though. The one that kills. Oh yeah, Emerald. I think that was actually Dark Ascension, wasn't it? Mm, I can't remember that I, one. I, I don't think that's actually in this set, but it, it, that was a morbid oh, yeah. card that, that is, everybody will remember because it's yeah. in cubes and such. Yeah, yeah. And then, well, it's not a printed mechanic as such, but milling, especially self milling, was huge in Instrad, and clearly there was a lot of benefit to it. Uh, for example, in the flashback cards. Yeah, I'd see a lot of people take the mill cards, like when I first started drafting Innistrad, uh, you know, ages ago when it was first out, and not really understand what they were supposed to do with the mill. There was a, a, a cultist card that when something died, it let you mill a player. And I'd see people with that in a random blue-white deck, and then they'd mill me hmm. when something died. And I'm like, that's not what you're supposed to do with that. Because every once in a while, they'd hit one of my flashback cards, which was basically drawing me a card. So... Unless you're going to mill your opponent out. And I, I mean, there is a mill deck in here. You can use Curse of the Broken Tome. I can't exactly remember what it was called. It may be Bloody Tome. Well, but all star. Th- there, yeah, th- th- there is a, a, a mill deck in here, but I, I wouldn't go for that. Most of the time you want to be mill your, milling yourself to, to kind of have some shenanigans going. Mm. I actually remember one of my drafts, one of the very first drafts I did of this format, I actually fall, fell into that very same trap with that creature that mills your opponent. But I sort of did it successfully, because I had the, whatever the Helmunculus dude is. Yeah. That just, like, consistently makes me sacrifice a creature, so I sack the same token it keeps making. Stitcher's Apprentice. Yeah, I was actually going to talk about Mm. that card, because it's kind of an all-star for all of the blue decks. Mm, We'll get to that later, but I I did that, and I was like, this is is probably not how I'm supposed to be doing this, but it it works. (laughs) Hey, you're doing it wrong, but it works. You got an achievement. Yeah. 
And I also wanted to do a shout out for some of the money cards in the set. Um, as I was making the show notes last week, these were the top priced cards that are worth money drafting here. Liliana of the Veil, vale, everybody knows about. In, in fact, everybody probably knows about these anyway, but it's worth shouting them out. Geist of St. Traft is still worth a pretty penny, Snapcaster Mage, and Past in Flames. So if you pop one of those, you should probably take them. They pay for either all of the draft or most of the draft. Um, other than that, there's not a whole lot of dollar value in here, but there is a lot of fun. There's always value in drafting. <laughs> yes. So I, I thought the best way to present this is to probably go through all of the different color pairs, talk a little bit about what their game plan is, and then um, Isorok actually mentioned that be on the lookout for trap cards, and I, I think there is kind of one trap archetype which I want to prepare you for as well. Uh -oh. but, but we'll just go through the pairs and, and chat about them a little bit. Um, first up is Blue-White Skies, which is, I, I mean, an archetype that everyone is familiar with. This has been an archetype in every magic set ever, right? Pretty much. Except in Alankad, actually, where it was Embalm instead. But for the most part, yes. Yeah, we still had some flyers going there. Sure. With this one, there's actually, if you've drafted Ixalan at all, you'll be familiar with like minor tribal themes that will show up. In Blue-White Skies, there's a minor spirit theme as well as a minor human theme that you can kind of bump into as you're drafting here. So this is a tribal set in that sometimes the... The, the creature types matter, but not a tribal set in that there's a huge payoff for having all creatures of one type. So I would say it's closer to the Ixalan spectrum than the Lorwyn spectrum, for example. But the, the creature types do matter there. And I just thought I'd run through a few of the, the kind of key cards for this archetype, particularly ones that can sort of get you in to this deck. Um, the, the first two are white cards that are typically first picks from the common run. Avicinian Priest which is one and a white for a one-two human cleric. You can spend one and tap it to tap a non-human creature. It's pretty early pickup because unless you're facing another human deck, this is usually just a tapper. It's surprising how not irrelevant the non-human text on this card is unless you're playing in like a mirror or against a green-white deck. Yeah, if you're up against somebody playing a big zombie deck or other spirits and then there's lots of you know werewolves and stuff, it's, it's worth mentioning that on the front side of the werewolf cards, they are humans. So you can only tap them once they've actually flipped. Um, and then Bonds of Faith was another early common pick. It's one in a white for an aura. Enchant creature. Enchanted creature gets plus two, plus two as long as it's a human. Otherwise, it can't attack or block. And this starts to put you in the mind of how the removal works in this format, and then it's kind of conditional like this. Also very flavorful in the monsters versus humans theme. I like that very much. Yeah, I, I really dig the card. And it, usually you're using this as a pacifism. Occasionally you're using this as a play it on my human and get in, you know, goblin war point paints worth of value. Mm. Swashbuckling, if you will. Oh, God. <laughs> um, next up, I figured we'd mention just a few of the, the flyers that actually matter here. Chapel Geist, one white white for a two three creature spirit with flying. Like... When you're seeing these around fifth or sixth pick, this is something where you're like, maybe maybe we can go ahead and grab these guys. It's a surprisingly good blocker. It's a little harder to cast because of that double white, uh, but it, it makes for a good evasive attacker. And then uh, another one that I put in here that I, I don't think people necessarily recognize in the beginning is Spectral Rider. It's white-white for a 2-2 Spirit Knight Intimidate. 
Isn't that kind of a weird card? That is not a very normal card, yeah. Intimidate. Has that? It, I can't remember a card that actually has Intimidate and is mono-white other than that. Yeah, it's it's kind of just a bizarre card. Um, it, but that spirit creature type is relevant. There's a, a blue card that we're going to get to in just a little bit that is a spirit lord. So that's usually something you would want there. But this is an, another like evasive creature here uh, that you can put into that. Uh, we've got cards like Battleground Geist, uh, which is a, a, another early-ish pick flyer. Uh, once we get into blue, that I think... Let me find that guy. Yeah, that's the Spirit Lord I was thinking about. It's four and a blue for a 3-3 three, three flying. Other spirit creatures you control get plus zero plus... Uh, excuse me, plus one plus zero. There's a Reverse Lord in white that pumps toughness which is still fine. It's a 3-3 flyer for five, which at this point in Magic's history was a fine card. Um, but this is usually what you're looking to do in this archetype is grab spirits, maybe pick up a battleground geist to, to fuel them, and then pick up some ground blockers. Looking through here to see if there were any other kind of great cards. Rebuke was a decent removal spell at two and a white for an instant destroy target attacking creature. You weren't really looking to pick that up early, but it was certainly helpful. And then we've all played with Claustrophobia before. Uh, that is the blue removal spell in the format. So one blue blue uh, for an enchantment. Tap target creature. It doesn't untap during its uh, controller's untap step. Actually, I have a question about Claustrophobia in this set. Sure. How high do you rate that card in Innistrad? Because there have been some formats where this sort of like and uh, tap enchanted creature and doesn't untap during its controller's turn have been phenomenally bad or then just like straight terminates. Where does it go in here? It's it's much closer to terminate here than it is in other formats in the past. I can only off the top of my head think of one untap effect, and it's not one that's run super often. It's a village bell ringer in white which is a, a creature that when it comes into play, it untaps all your creatures. It's two and a white for a one four. And some decks will play that as like a little surprise combat trick. But that's the only thing I can think of that will get somebody out of this. Um, there's also a grizzly bear in white that you can sacrifice to exile an enchantment. Um, so if, if they happen, and that's very playable in like the white green deck, for example, that's just looking for bodies. So I, I think white is the only color that can like interact with this. There's a naturalizing green, but like if they're naturalizing your claustrophobia, kind of whatever, at least they're not getting your your butcher's cleaver out from under your invisible stalker. We'll, we'll get to that later. So it, I, I think it, it's basically a terminate here. So very powerful. Nice. There's another card that um, is particularly good in this archetype, which is sensory deprivation. This is not something you're picking particularly early, and I, I remember watching LSV videos back in the day, and he would say, this is basically Swords to Plowshares. It's it's blue for an enchantment aura. Enchanted creature gets minus three, minus zero. If you're planning to get your damage through in the air, it kind of is Swords to Plowshares for a smaller creature. Now, now don't start first picking these. First pick Claustrophobia. First pick Murder of Crows, which we'll talk about next. But if you see a sensory deprivation on the wheel and you're solidly in blue-white flyers, it's okay to play one or two of these in your deck. I wonder if the the, the similar card from Shadows of Innistrad, the return set to Innistrad, was a was a callback to sensory deprivation. There was the one that was uh, blue for a flash enchantment, 
that gave the creature minus x minus zero, where x was your delirium count. I remember that, and I remember initially thinking it wasn't going to be very good, and then it turns out that it was actually quite good. It was amazing. And I had a similar experience with sensory deprivation as I played through the initial Innistrad. I was like, this is just garbage. And then by the end of the format, it didn't go to amazing, but it went to my blue deck probably wants this. Interesting. Specifically blue-white. Uh, you could play it in others because the the blue flyers were, were so prevalent, but like blue-white was very interested in this. Um, an, another card that you can first pick and get into this archetype quite often is Murder of Crows. It's an uncommon. Uh, it's basically an area elemental. Three blue blue for a 4-4 four, four flyer and has tacked on there. Whenever another creature dies, you may draw a card if you do discard a card. So whenever anything dies, you get a free loot. Like I think we'd be excited about that in any format. That sounds pretty powerful. It's a good one. Um, and then it's worth mentioning Stitched Drake uh, because this is kind of an unusual card. Uh, blue White Skies is usually interested in one or two of these. Uh, it's one blue blue for a 3 4 flying zombie Drake as an additional cost to cast it, exile a creature card from your graveyard. So you've got to find a way to get somebody dead, but once you do, you've got a, a, a really efficiently costed flyer. So that, that's kind of where that self-mill that we mentioned earlier comes in. It's not really a card that you're often going to be able to cast on turn three because of the mana requirements and that, that requirement that you have something in the graveyard. So I often think of cards like this as almost like a five drop that untaps two lands when it comes into play. Mm. There's a whole bunch of cycle of these uh, that require you to exile cards from your graveyard, aren't there? There are. And these typically work better with blue cards that are self-milling you. I'll mention it here because basically every blue deck wants it is the Armored Scab. Uh, it's a 1-4 that when it comes into play, does it mill 3 or mill 4? I need to find him. There he is. He mills 4 of you. So you play the Armored Scab, you get a Horn Turtle, and then you mill yourself for 4. And that's an advantage here because you're milling flashback spells or you're milling creatures to feed to your Stitch Strike or something like that. So that's kind of the idea with with blue white is it's it's sort of the same idea that it's been using you know throughout eternity in magic is get down ground blockers take the removal spells that you can and have some evasive flyers the difference being that spirits matter a little bit especially if you get one of the spirit lords and there's a few cards that make spirit tokens which make the spirit lords even better uh midnight haunting is the one that comes to mind it's two and a white for an instant put two one one spirit tokens into play And then I think next that will bring us to blue-black, which is kind of like a zombie removal deck. You have some strong flyers, strong removal, and then some zombie synergy going on here. Uh, this is another one where you're interested in some self-mill. So you've got Stitch Strikes, and there's other cards like that, Makeshift Mauler being one of them, that are very efficiently costed creatures for the mana, but you have to do some work and get stuff into your graveyard first. Um, easy ways to finish up in this is dead weight. We've seen this removal spell reprinted. It's an enchantment for a black that gives target creature minus two, minus two. You've played with this card some for sure, yeah? Yeah, it was in Shadows. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it didn't move anywhere. Same plane. Yeah, same plane. And it, it's just great because like you can kill something with two toughness, or if you need to, you can shrink something that's a little bit bigger. Um, 
Another card that is very good in this deck, even better in red black, but I, I figure it's worth mentioning here, is the Falconrath Noble. Uh, this is three and a black for a 2-2 flyer. Whenever a creature dies, you drain your opponent for one. So you can imagine some fun stuff setting up with this. This was in one of the master sets too, wasn't yeah, it? Yeah, I was just going to say like a note to this card's power that it got printed in a master set. Should tell us you a bit. Yeah. So like you certainly want it in your blue black deck. It goes better when you have sacrifice effects. You had mentioned Stitcher's Apprentice mm -hmm. um, earlier being a way that you milled out your opponent. And it, it it's worth talking about this card for a second. This is one in a blue for a 1-2 Homunculus. Activated ability, one in a blue tap, put a 2-2 blue Homunculus creature token onto the battlefield, then sacrifice a creature. So what that means is, just for example with Falconrath Noble, I can, as long as I have one in a blue, I can just drain my opponent because I can sacrifice the token, right? Mm, yep. It, it also means that for one in a blue, I can trigger Morbid at instant speed any time that I want. That seems real good. Any death synergies that I have, the, the murder of crows, I can loot for one in a blue anytime I want. If I attack you with a 4-4 and you have a Stitcher's Apprentice and a Homunculus in play, all of a sudden you can block with the Homunculus, sacrifice it to basically fog out the 4-4. So it does all these things in various decks. If I have the Skurzdag Cultist, which is the, the card that... No, it's Selhoff Occultist. There we go. This is the card Isorok was mentioning that he milled out his opponent with. Two and a blue for a 2-3. When this or another creature dies, target player puts the top card of his or her graveyard into his or her library. I can activate that at instant speed. So Stitcher's Apprentice just kind of plays well in all of the things that Blue is wanting to do. I make it sound so much better than I actually initially even thought about. Like, when I first played the card, it didn't seem that good. It was like, oh, I guess I can upgrade my, what is it, like 1-2 into a 2-2 by sacrificing itself. But now that you mention all these combos that, you know, most people probably before playing the set had never thought of, it's just like, I probably won't pick one of these for almost any of my blue X decks. Yeah, you'll find something to do with it. Mm. And it's not that it does any one thing particularly amazing. It's that every deck that has blue in it is interested in this effect. So green blue can use it to mill itself um, in conjunction with like a Selhoff Occultist. Uh, it's going to trigger your Morbid for green and black. In white, you can use it to fog a big ground attacker. It, it's just a very flexible card. Um, another card that often got me, at, at least into black, was Moan of the Unhallowed. This is just a two-for-one, um, potentially a four-for-one. It's two black-black for a sorcery. Put two two-two black zombie creature tokens on the battlefield and has flashback of five black-black. That's a good rate. That's a real good rate. It's a great rate. You're happy if you mill it because then you're just getting free zombies late game. And then just, you know, four mana for a 4-4 four, four spread out over two bodies is just fantastic. Mm -hmm. One of my favorite cards, and I, I'm sure that you've played with this one uh, for blue-black, was Forbidden Alchemy. I have. In Popper, actually. Yeah, yeah. This card's just great. It's, it's two and a blue for an instant... Look at the top four cards of your library. Put one of them into your hand, the rest into your graveyard, meaning that like you're getting flashback value from that. And then the card has flashback for six and a black. So there's just so many things you can do with Forbidden Alchemy. Um, I also think it's worth mentioning Victim of Night, which is another early pick removal spell in black. It's black, black, 
I need to look and see if it's an instant. I don't remember. It's an instant. It is. it is an instant. Destroys oh, okay. a non-vampire, non-werewolf, non-zombie creature. There you go. So you can't kill the big baddies, but you can kill a lot of the little stuff that you're interested in. Yeah, like this This is like the exact opposite of the the human pacifism in flavor-wise. It's like, this is the monsters coming to kill your humans. You know, I, I don't know how I never picked that up, but the flavor is so deep and rich on Innistrad. Yeah. I, I guess there's always more to discover. Now, you had a good point. Uh, we're going to go into red-black next, and you had said to tell you if there's any traps. I think there's actually a trap here in that Red Black looks like it's supposed to be a vampire aggro deck, and that deck didn't actually come together. A big reason why is in, in these days, Black didn't really get combat tricks, and the red combat trick is a two-mana vampire combat trick, and the tribal synergy wasn't so heavy that you could have that many uh, vampires in your deck. Like, you could get seven, you could sometimes get ten, but that meant that occasionally your combat trick still isn't working. Mm. So you're saying this set needed a Skullduggery? It needed something like that. If it had had Skullduggery, I think this deck would have been significantly better. Or if the red combat trick honestly had been Sure Strike, I think it would have been better. You're, you're also hurt a little bit in that one of the premier two drops for red was a 2-1 that has to attack every turn. And then there's kind of this vampire mechanic of if it hits your opponent, it gets a plus one, plus one counter. Well, we've already talked about several cards that beat that, that people are just interested in playing for value, like the Armored Scab and Stitcher's Apprentice. And having to play a card that has to attack into that is is really not fantastic. It's Blood Craze Neonate. Yeah, attacks each turn if able, and it's a 2-1. Like, that's not great. So when you see this, you're going to be looking at it and thinking, okay, red-black vampires, that's what I'm supposed to be doing. That That deck actually wasn't very good. What was good was Red Black Sacrifice. So, so what, I, another sort of synergy the, deck? Yeah, a synergy deck. What was the core set where we were using like active treason effects to take our opponent's creatures and sack them? It was like M15 or something. I remember that. It was a, it was a good hellhound in there. Yeah, yeah. And we, we've got something similar to this happening here. There's Traitorous Blood is a common at one red red, gain control of target creature, untap it, it gains haste and trample. So that's that's kind of how you're stealing your opponent's stuff. Uh, and then we've got various ways to sack things, Skurzdag Cultist being a big one. Two red red, it's an uncommon 2-2. Two, two. Red, tap it, sack a creature, deals two damage to target creature or player. So you can take your opponent's thing, hit them with it, then sack it to kill something else. And if you happen to have a Falcon Wrath Noble in play, well, it just gets even better. It's interesting. So you can sort of, sort of start to see that synergy going. Yeah, this is this is one of the decks I have actually never heard of anyone. Like, it, do you consider this to be a real deck, or is it more just like a funny jank deck? Because when people talk about Innistrad, you always hear about you know the zombies or or the humans or the one deck that we're going to come to later, which is the thing that everybody wants to do. But yeah, this this is like. This is interesting. I'm I'm sort of into this in that mm-hmm. it is it is the janky thing that could potentially be funny or sometimes even good. But would you would you actually like actively try to draft this deck? Is it good? I, I need I need to see the pieces and the the first piece to get into it is a Skurzdag cultist. 
Like, let, I'm probably going to first pick a Falcon Wrath Aristocrat if I see one, the, the Drainer. And if I get past a Cultist immediately after, I might just go for this. There's two more creatures I want to point out, and I think you'll see the pieces coming together here. Pitchburn Devils, four and a red for a 3-3. When it dies, deal three damage to target creature or player. That's a common, so I can sack that to deal five if I've got my cultist out, as well as just have a 3-3, which is a reasonably sized body. And Rage Thrower, this is initially not a card you would think much of, uh, but it's five and a red for a 4-2. Whenever another creature dies, it deals two damage to target player. Right. So like, if you can establish enough of a board, you can kind of do some ridiculous things here. And then remember, a lot of your black cards have Morbid, so just sacrificing stuff to trigger that is already a good thing for you. See, like Rage Thrower sounds exactly like a card that I would probably like initially say this is not playable. But you and, and a couple of other people just like keep bringing this up that a six mana four two with this random shock to your face would would be a good card. Makes me makes me wonder like, hmm, I wonder if there's actually no. something into this thing. Just imagine having that in play with, oh, I don't know, Stitcher's Apprentice. <laughs> yeah, there we go. <laughs> like you've got, there's so many things you can do with this. And that's one of the things that made Innistrad so much fun is, is you dive in here, you can find all of these little synergies and, and, and ways to interact. So I, I would encourage you as you're drafting Red Black, just to, to recognize that the, the creatures don't line up great for an aggro deck. I think it's still okay to draft an aggro deck. I can just remember every time I drafted red black and tried to do what I thought they wanted me to do, which was take those two, one vampires. And then there's a crossway vampires, one red, red for a three, two, when it enters the battlefield target creature can't block this turn. Like it, it seems like we're trying to do very aggressive things with red black. And that never really got me anywhere, but drafting these combos meant that I, I had decks that I could actually win with. Uh, we'd also be remiss if we didn't mention Brimstone Volley. This is your first pick red card. Two and a red for an instant. Three damage to target creature or player. Morbid, five damage to target creature or player. A lot of games of Innistrad end with your opponent at five and you suiciding a dude in and then casting Brimstone Volley to finish him off. All right, I think we went through all of the cards there. So let's mention... Uh, Red-green, which is basically werewolf beats and burn. Uh, we've got play big dudes, turn them sideways, burn them out. This is an unusual strategy for red-green. So if, I actually, if you're familiar from uh, the same archetype from Shadows, it should be right at home for you if you like that one, right? Yeah, actually it, it should be. It's, it's interesting. These flip in the same way that Shadows did. The werewolves are efficiently costed, usually on both sides, although they're not quite as aggressively pushed as they were in Shadows. So there were a couple of two-drops. I, I don't remember the actual name of the cards. I remember Uvenwald Pacifist, right? Yeah, that card was gross. That card was a beating, and the uncommon version of that here is a 2-2 that turns into a 3-3 Intimidate. I, I think it's Intimidate. Let me go ahead and look up Gottstaff Shepard. I'm going on, on memory here. They keep that might, That's actually one of the keywords that newer players who came in after Aura Origins, I believe, haven't probably played too much, is Intimidate. 
since the Wizards of the Coast has moved away from printing Intimidate altogether. And Intimidate... You're absolutely right. They've kind of replaced it with Menace, right? Yes, they they moved into Menace for the traditional big scary monster keyword or uh, ability. And if if you're not aware, uh, Intimidate means that this creature can only be blocked by creatures of the same color or artifact creatures. Thank you for that. That hadn't occurred to me, but you're absolutely right. That's a keyword that's kind of disappeared. Um, but if you played in Shadows and you remember Uvenwald Pacifist, it was a 2-2 that couldn't attack that turned into a 4-4. It's a 3-3, actually, that can't attack. Oh, you're right. It's a 3-3 that can't attack and turns into a 4-4. And it also had the clause that it cannot attack unless you control a creature with power 4 or more. Oh my god, that card was so busted. Yes, it was. <laughs> Why did they print that? But it it gets downgraded when we go back in time to Gottstoff Shepherd, which is one in a, a green for a two two, no no other text except uh, when it transforms, it becomes a three three intimidate. So still a very scary card, but you can see that the power level went up a lot between original Innistrad and Shadows, and I I think this was the scary two drop vampire or excuse me two drop werewolf of the format. Um, let's see what other cards did I want to mention here? Dark Thicket Wolf is a card that doesn't look amazing on its surface, but is actually something you want in every green deck and a relatively early pick, like fourth to fifth. It's one in a green for a two, two. You can spend two in a green to give it plus two, plus two and activate this ability only once each turn. Mm, just a powered up brood wall though. Exactly. And the best part about it is your opponent has a three, three you want to get in some damage, you attack with it, they're not going to block, right? Mm, threat or activation is very powerful here. Exactly. Now, if they ever do block, be be aware of what's happened here. You can decide to spend the three mana and trade it for their combat trick, or you can just let it go. But if they ever block it, you're kind of priced into activating it. So be, be aware of that. Sometimes they will have something. Uh, Prey Upon. This was actually the first instance that we saw uh, a, a card like this in green. It was the first printing of Prey Upon, which is just green. Target creature you control fights target creature you don't control. With the beef that we've got in green, this is a very good card. Uh, and it, it, it was a high pick here. Your green stuff is going to be big enough to take the monsters out that you want to kill. Hmm. Prey Upon has really varied in power over the years. Like I, I believe that in the original Innistrad, it was at its best, almost. And mm-hmm. then, actually, the further we come, it was in in Eldritch Moon, I believe. The, yeah, the it... small expansion of Shadows. And in there, mm-hmm. it was reasonable, but not quite the same. And the latest version of this card, which is one on a green for an instant version of Prey Upon in Ixalan, is almost like not actually a playable card surprisingly yeah. it's it's only one of the tribes that actually wants yeah, it it is very format dependent on how good this card is and here it's apparently amazing it, it's amazing um you if you're doing it right you will first pick a prey upon at some point while you're drafting these like this was a a reason to be green in this format oh, wow. uh, another green card to be aware of is ambush viper uh, it's one in a green for a 2-1 flash death touch. The green doom blade. The green doom blade, it has been called many times, and it, it's just a good card. 
And then I figured I'd mention the two-drop Red Werewolf, which is a pretty good one. It's Village Ironsmith. Uh, it's one in red for a 1-1 first strike, and it flips into a 3-1 first strike. Sounds reasonable, unless there are a lot of ping, for- ping effects in this format. There's not a ton of them. Um, I don't actually recall any ping effects. There's... There is a, a red removal spell that deals one damage and has flashback. Flame? That's the one. Yeah, there we go. But I don't remember repeatable pings. Right. It's worth mentioning as you look at red-green, specifically werewolves, the more werewolves you get, the more interested you become in instants. Because there's a play pattern with these and that you want to get two or three werewolves out and then you're incentivized to flip them. And if if you if you don't have an instant that you can cast on your opponent's turn, then you're kind of giving up your turn to flip your werewolves. And then if your opponent flips them back, you're kind of in trouble. So having an instant so you can pass your turn, flip your werewolves, and then do something on your opponent's turn is very valuable. So like, if I have three werewolves in my deck, I kind of don't care. They'll flip at some turn at point. It's fine. But if I have five, six, or seven, I may actually start to value instants. And we know that play pattern somewhat from playing with with werewolves and shadows. Oh, yeah. yeah, you make it sound exactly the same. Yeah, it, it kind of is. It's worth remembering. Like, there's no spend mana to flip werewolves, which we saw in Eldritch Moon. But just remember original shadows, and you've you've kind of got the play pattern for these. Um, white green. This is actually the aggro deck of the format and the one that you need to be scared of if people know what they're doing. Um, Red Black Vampire is not particularly scary. White Green is absolutely terrifying. And there's really only one key card that I need to tell you about. There's a lot of neat little synergies that you can put together with humans. Um, But let's, let's walk through this. Travel Preparations. One and a green for a sorcery. Put a plus one, plus one counter on each of up to two target creatures... Flashback, one in a white. So someone thought that River Hurl's Boon was a good card. <laughs> Stand aside. <laughs> we got a Stand new aside. Hold my beer. Oh, yeah. Yeah. If, if you've played with River Herald's Boon and you've seen what that card does, imagine if you could cast it. It didn't care whether they were merfolk or not. And then you can cast it again later without having to use a card. Or in the same turn, because it's actually only four mana to both sides. Exactly. Now you're getting yeah. it. Yeah. So what does this this card want to be in? A deck with ones and twos. There's already high priority one drops and that there's a mana elf, Avacyn's Pilgrim, uh, that's one green and taps for a white. Um, we saw Hamlet Captain reprinted in Shadows, which is one and a green for a 2-2 two, two human. When it attacks, other humans get plus one, plus one until end of turn. I mentioned Midnight Haunting earlier, which makes two tokens. Like, it, it kind of doesn't matter what you put these counters on, just that you put these counters on something. I've had turn fives where I cast, do exactly what Isarok mentioned. I cast travel preparations, flash it back, prey upon their blocker, and then basically kill them. Right? Like, Gross. it's kind of game over. This deck is absolutely terrifying to play against. Um, value anything evasive so that white spirit with intimidate that we mentioned earlier is really good. Got stuff. Shepherd's really good. There's a weird green flyer called orchard spirit. It's two and a green for a two, two it doesn't actually have flying, but it can only be blocked by creatures with flying or reach. So it kind of has, so has flying. You can't, yeah, you can't plummet it. You can't plummet it. That's right. But it's basically a green wind drag. So like there's a little more, you know, nuance to this than just draft a bunch of ones and twos and put travel preparation in your deck but there's not a lot more than that 
look for good ones in two drops. Uh, but I'd mentioned the Silver Chase Fox, the white two drop that you can sack to destroy an enchantment. Like th that goes in here too. And that's the entirety of this deck. If you don't have two travel preparations, you don't have the, the deck. So travel preparations is kind of like, I will first pick that as a gold card and happily move into this archetype. Tis a beating. There's a human sacrifice deck in white black, which is okay, but not fantastic. Um, this was not one that I got into very often, but it's it's rotating around cards like Unruly Mob. We remember this from... Was that an Eldritch Moon or, or Shadows? No, I can't remember. I, don't, I often didn't play the card. It wasn't yeah. very good there. It wasn't very good there. It's okay here, um, mainly because it's a two-drop that can go in the Travel Preparations deck. Mm. And there's so many cards that are built around triggering Morbid. Like, you'll even play Unruly Mob in your Blue-White Skies deck because it combos with what card? The uh, homunculus thing. What is it called again? Stitcher's Apprentice? Yeah, there that card combos with everything. Gross. So it's it's kind of a morbid trigger on a, a card. And there's other things that you can sacrifice for value. I mentioned some here. Doom Traveler is a one-mana one-one that dies into a one-one spirit. Obviously, that goes in the travel prep deck. It goes in this too as you're sacrificing things. There's Elder Cathar, which is a scathe zombie that dies into a plus-one, plus-one counter on another creature or a plus two, plus two counter if it's a human. Mausoleum Guards, a four mana, two, two, that dies into two spirits. And then you've got stuff in black. There's a Village Cannibals. Whenever a human dies, it's an uncommon uh, two and a black for a two, two. When a human dies, it gets a plus one, plus one counter. So you can kind of start building that up. And to tell you the power level of this, there's also a um, one and a black for a one, one Disciple of Gristlebrand that has the activated ability of Sacrifice a Creature I think you gain some life. Yeah. I, I don't remember that part being relevant, I, just being able to sacrifice something. I played this card in my commander deck, and I believe it was pay one mana and sacrifice creature, and then you gain life equal to its toughness, if I'm not completely incorrect. Yeah, let me find him here. It's worth knowing exactly what it does. I just remember... Yeah, that's exactly it. That obviously goes in the red-black sacrifice deck as another way to sacrifice your stuff and trigger morbid. And then you can start doing some of these death triggers at instant speed. Um, so like the, the elder Cathar, which I, I mentioned a little earlier, let me find him so I can make sure that the text 100% works Cathar with is this. A two and a white for a two, two. And when it dies, you put a plus one, plus one counter and target creature. If the creature is a human, instead you put two of those counters. Again, a card yes. that I have not played this format too much and I'm not looking this up. That's the card I remember. Yeah. It's so yeah. good. It, it's a strong card. And if you attack in with some humans and have a Disciple of Gristlebrand up, it's going to make blocking quite difficult for your opponent. So this deck is looking to do all of that. It's the one that's most likely to use uh, Bonds of Faith as a way to force through a little bit of extra damage uh, because so many of its creatures are going to be humans. And then the rest of it is is kind of obvious how you would get into this is picking a good white removal spell like if you start with bonds of faith and the victim of night, you can easily go down that path and end up here. Now, one of the decks that people have a lot of fun with is actually blue red. You have heard of this one. Yeah, I have. Now we're getting to the, the, the good ones. So, so called. Yeah. I, I expect to see you and Ling going for this one. So there's a build around red enchantment called burning vengeance. 
in the original format, you would usually try to wheel this. I doubt that you're able to do that anymore because people are so excited to get to play with it. Two and a red for an enchantment. Whenever you cast a spell from your graveyard, Burning Vengeance deals two damage to target creature or player. And then we've got cards like Think Twice, which is one in a blue, draw a card, flashback two in a blue. You can kind of put together what you're trying to do here. I feel like uh, I, I've had this discussion earlier about the flashback formats in general in Magic Online, and this is a good point to get into it, which is the decks that people remember. And this this is obviously one of them, like you said, like you don't expect this card to wheel. And the, the reason for that is that when we come back to these formats, for example, like I remember this very uh, clearly from Kaz of Tarkir flashback, which wasn't too long ago. It was like half a year ago or something. Mm-hmm. And there was the one thing everybody wanted to do, which was the five color morph mega morph you know the the stuff the thing let's do the thing which is the five color thing and you end up in this like weird sort of like a meta game where instead of having a regular draft of cows of tarkir or in this case a regular draft of innistrad we have a draft of everybody dying trying to do the thing mm-hmm. so uh, compared to what people used to Remember, like what they remember from doing their normal FNM Innistrad drafts, you're gonna have a problem getting into into this one and into the the other the the green blow deck that's gonna come up later, unless you get really lucky, or just like you're in a pod with people who don't care, which I find unreasonable to expect, or who who don't know, or who don't right? know, right? Like, you could have a pod of eight people who had drafted in Estrad before, or you could have a pod where you're the only person in it that has. Now, I, I think it's more likely that people will know what they're doing in these drafts. Oh, yeah. But but you're absolutely right. This is one of the things that people wanted to do. I, I need to mention another card that goes in this deck is Silent Departure. Um, this is your blue bounce spell, and it, it was a relatively early pick for blue. It's important to note, I, I remember... Oddly enough, when I when I played FNM, my opponent tried to bounce one of my creatures at instant speed, and this is not an instant. This is a sorcery. It's blue for a sorcery, return target creature to its owner's hand, and then has flashback for four and a blue. This goes in all your blue decks. It's just super value to, to bounce something and then be able to bounce it again later. And it's another card with flashback for this deck. But what Isorak has mentioned is true. This is one of the things people are going to want to be doing and I imagine most people who open a Burning Vengeance are going to go for it and not pass it. If you happen to get past one, it's a good sign that your opponent, whoever's passing to you, either doesn't know that this is a deck or that they opened a spider spawning. We'll get to that. <laughs> and don't want to go for this one. So that that's your opportunity to do something right. with it. Uh, there is a green-black deck that is okay. It's not super easy to get into, but it's it's kind of playing with the morbid keyword. So things like Fester Hide Boar, um, various removal spells in black, you're, you're kind of looking to trigger Morbid and get stuff going that way. I didn't draft green-black very often, but when you do, it's because you got some good werewolves and some good black removal. It kind of reminds me a little bit of green-black and Ixalan, and that there's, there's, there's like... The only reason to go into it is if the card quality of your green and black cards is very strong. Otherwise, the synergies don't quite mesh super well. I feel like that's a very good comparison to make. 
for for the purposes of people who've never drafted this before. Yeah, and I, I wouldn't discourage you from going for it, but it's it's kind of not not all that great. Um, another one that's a little disappointing is Boros. Red white's kind of not a thing. We're used to there being a red white aggressive deck in every format, and I mean you can make one. the The white combat trick of the format is uh, active heroism, right? Am I remembering that crazy? I believe that's correct. Oh. Let me find the darn thing. Yeah, moment of heroism. There it is. One in a white for an instant target creature gets plus two, plus two, and gains lifelink until end of turn. It's actually quite a good combat trick. Uh, there's not a one mana combat trick, and I mentioned the red combat trick is focused on vampires, which you're not going to have in white-red. So you can still dra draft uh, red-white, but it it kind of focuses focuses a little more on I got good removal spells, I got good red creatures and white creatures rather than a focused aggro deck. Like the aggro deck that everyone's terrified of in this format is green white. It's not red white, so you can still do it. But it's another one of those decks like green black where either you have very high card quality red and white cards or you don't, and that's that's kind of the reason to to go into this. Now you've heard of what the green blue deck does, Isarok, yeah? I have heard and I have I've actually done it. Not in its full full form, but I have done the thing. T tell me what you did. I had three spider spawnings. How the heck did you get three spider spawnings? <laughs> Don't ask me, but I had. But So a a fun little history lesson here. Um, the card spider spawning initially was something that people kind of didn't understand what you were supposed to do with. And for a solid month, people drafted Innistrad and didn't know this was a deck. Mm. It's four and a black for a sorcery. No, it's not. Put a 1-1 one, one, uh, green spider creature token uh, onto the battlefield for each card in your creature card in your graveyard. And it has flashback for six and a black. I'll stop you there. You said okay. the front half is four and a green, not four and a black. Uh, the front half is four and a green. There we go. Okay, sorry, I messed that up. So four, four and a green for a sorcery. Put a one, two green spider creature token with reach onto the battlefield for each creature card in your graveyard and flashback six and a black. Now mentioned that black and green kind of don't really go particularly well in this format. So a lot of people weren't sure what to do with this. What am I supposed to do with this? Value spiders? Value spiders? What you're supposed to do with it is put it in blue-green and splash the black. There's enough fixing that you can pull this off, and there's a ton of self-mill cards in blue. You combine that with green creatures, spider spawning, and then there's a shimmering grotto variant. Traveler's Amulet is in this format. Caravan Vigil is a, a mana-fixing card for green so what you want to do is mill yourself like crazy, then make 12 spiders, next turn make 12 more. And that usually wins the game. Mm -hmm. There's some other little cute combos you can do with it to actually go infinite, uh, which I've, I've mentioned here. At the last iteration of, of uh, Innistrad, one of these was actually removed from the packs because of a bug. I'm not sure that it's going to be back in here, but it, if they have fixed it, you want to get Memories Journey and Runic Repetition to, to kind of finish out this deck. 
Um, those are cards that let you shuffle cards from your graveyard back into your library. So you can shuffle the spider spawning back in. And then instead of flashing it back, once you've milled yourself out completely, just kind of cast it for a few more turns and make sure you don't mill out. And then Runic Repetition let you get an exiled card with flashback back. So you could cast Spider Spawning, flash it back, cast Runic Repetition, cast it again, flash it back again. So, so go ahead and tell, tell us what's the, what's the infinite combo with these cards then? How does that work? Okay, so the infinite combo is I cast Spider Spawning and flash it back. Then I cast Runic Repetition. Oh God, I've, I've got to remember all, all right. of the steps. I actually know the steps and the steps you're are... Gonna, you're yeah. going to have to tell me all the steps. Right. You cast, you got, you, you have, you know, let's say you have your entire deck in your graveyard. So you have an empty library. You cast Spider Spawning to make a, a bunch of spiders. You cast Memory's Journey to put Spider Spawning back into your deck, eventually casting it again. Memory's Journey itself has flashback. So you cast Memory's Journey to put spider spawning and runic, runic repetition into your deck exiling the memories journey then you draw the repetition returning the memories journey casting the spider spawning and then with the memories journey in your hand you put the repetition spider spawning back into your deck and eventually do the things again and then you flash back the memories journey to put them back again and then draw the runic repetition return the memories journey from your exile to your hand loopity loopity loop there you go that is the loop yeah one other card that if, if you happen to open a spider spawning or get past one, and again, what Isorok said earlier about Burning Vengeance absolutely applies here. This is the thing that people want to do. There's going to be people joining the draft and forcing this. If you're interested in winning, be careful about going in on this deck. Don't start first picking Selhoff Occultists. But if you're in it, another card that doesn't look like it would be particularly good but is, is one copy of Gnaw to the Bone. This is two and a green for an instant. You gain two life for each creature card in your graveyard, and it has flashback for two and a green. This is your chance against the uh, green-white aggressive deck because you, you can cast this and over the course of flashing it back, easily gain 20 life. Limited Resources often talks about how much life would you have to gain on a life gain card for it to be worth playing, and they often come to the answer of 20. You can do that with this card. You can do more than that with this card. And there's one more card that you can kind of have as a fail case in here, which is a Boneyard Worm. It's one in a green for a star star. It has power and toughness equal to the number of creature cards in your graveyard. I mean, this certainly goes in that deck because it's a creature. And remember to focus on creatures as you're building the deck because that, that's what spider spawning triggers off of. The problem is this is one threat that's not particularly resilient. If you cast this and they cast Victim of Night or Bonds of Faith, your game plan's kind of over. So you will, you will become quite sad. And then there's one more combo that we have to talk about. Are you familiar with Invisible Stalker, Isorok? I have, because that's the card I lost to with my Spider Spawning deck. Yeah. <laughs> so it, it's pretty powerful, right? It's it's one in a blue for a 1-1 one, one hex-proof unblockable. Well, that doesn't sound too good. Now, why, why would that be a good card? That would be a good card because there's equipment in this set... Um, one of them at Uncommon just makes that unbeatable. It's called Butcher's Cleaver. It's three for an equipment with three to equip. So this sounds pretty bad. Expensive, yeah. Equipped creature gets plus three, plus zero. And if it's a human, it has lifelink. 
It is really hard to race a four-point life swing every turn, and there is virtually no way in the format to deal with an invisible stalker. There's plenty of other ways to augment the card. There's other equipments uh, that give humans plus two, plus oh. There's spectral flight, which is an, an aura that gives a creature plus two, plus two, and flying. The flying doesn't really matter, but a three, three unblockable is kind of a big deal. That's a fight word. Yeah. There's a, there's a lot of ways to do this, but the, the butcher's cleaver is the one where you're like, oh God, I hate this format. I don't want to <laughs> play anymore. I, it's just broken. If you open an invisible stalker and you're very interested in winning, you should probably take it. Butcher's Cleaver is also better than it looks because there's so many humans out there. So we have some questions here from Iserok right. you've typed in. What, what have you got? Yeah, here? I've got a couple of questions for you just for the like the overall feel of the format. And the first one, which I feel is also one of the uh, mo most important things people often out like overlook when figuring out how, how should they draft in the set. And that is, what is the speed of Innistrad? How quickly do you get killed, or do you have like ten years time to do your spider spawning? It it really depends who you're playing against, which is which is a rough one. There's an aggro deck in the format, but it's not all about aggro. So honestly, it reminds me of something like Return to Ravnica, where there are dirtily decks that are looking to do their things, but that Rakdos deck is there and waiting to pounce on you. The, the difference is the aggro deck is green-white instead of red-black. So there will be people dirtling around that are intending to mill their entire library and then kill you with something like a Laboratory Maniac or a, a Spider Spawning or go for some weird combo like that. And then there's also the green-white deck looking to kill you. Now, the good news is most of your dirtily decks are playing cards like that Armored Scab that are, are good at blocking. And you'll usually use your creatures for removal here. This was the set where we shifted from removal being very good. Like previous to this, we had uh, the new Phyrexia block where Grasp of Darkness was printed at common. And this is the set where we start to see that power downshift in removal, right? Like I haven't mentioned the Doomblade of the format because there's not one. We just don't have unconditional format and un unconditional removal here. So I would say your speed, if you played original Return to Ravnica, that's a, a good benchmark for it. In that there is an aggro deck you need to be aware of, but there's kind of only the one, and everybody else is looking to do this slow stuff. So you can build your slow dirtily deck, just be prepared to face that aggro deck and have a sideboard plan for it, or a main deck plan for it, and then side into slower stuff if it's more grindy. All right, excellent. And then the other one is, of course, what is your favorite, or what do you believe is the best thing to be doing in this format? Not, not counting the obvious... Uh, spider spawning if you have to happen to open it I, I don't even think those are the best now they probably mm. were you know a mm -hmm. month into the format when half of the table didn't understand what the deck was or how to do it and i can remember playing at my local game store in sacramento california at the time um shout out to adventures and comics um like resolving that against somebody that didn't know what it was, was just a wonderful feeling to see them look at it and kind of start to understand what was happening and get it. It was fun, but it, 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 my favorite deck to draft was the um, green white one. Yeah, that sounds reasonable. Like if you can get two travel preparations, God forbid three, it doesn't matter what the card says on it. If it's a two drop, 
in green or white, you just take it and you kill your opponent. It's awesome. Mm. So that one I went for, and then I don't like the butcher's cleaver, invisible stalker combo, but I'm going to take it every time I see it. That makes sense. Like it's, it's just free tickets. Yeah. All right. I have my third question is, uh, we had this earlier in one card, which is the, the, what was the human again? The unruly mob cards that you have seen before, or in this case, cards we've seen later that are, are like, they're bad or, or like mostly unplayable, but suddenly they are really good here or cards that are just like, uh, the same way spider spawning, like it evolved into this, like first it was, nobody knew what to do with the card. And then suddenly people started to realize that, Hey, this is actually a really good card. And we, we also had the enchantment earlier, the minus three minus O like Mm -hmm. what cards are surprisingly powerful or actually like really good cards that just, they look weak. Do you have, do you have like something, some, some cards that just from the top of your head that people will miss? Yeah. Let's, let's go through here and look at them. Um, Mulch is in the format. So this is a very old reprint. It's one in a green for a sorcery. Reveal the top four cards of your library. Put all land cards revealed into your hand and the rest in your graveyard. If you are looking to self-mill, which you often will be if you're in green, this is a fantastic way to do it and also let you keep hands that don't seem keepable, right? Like, you may be nervous about a two-land hand that has a bunch of threes and fours. I'd I'd still keep it because I'm a monster, but... If you're nervous about that and you have mulch in your hand, you don't have to be nervous anymore. Mm. Um, what else was particularly good? I, I'm going to dig through here and look at all these cards so I can give you an, an actual answer to this. Let's see. There, there's some rares that we could talk about. No, I'm talking about um, commons and uncommons, of course. Things Reckless people. Wife was an uncommon that was interesting. It's one mana for a one, one that flips into a three, two. And I think this was supposed to go in the aggro decks. The the problem is when it flipped, it's like, it didn't have any evasion and it still wasn't particularly good. Right. So that's like the reverse. Yeah. I, I I hear you. We had, we had the similar card in, in shadows as well. It was the one, one with haste that flips into a two, two. It was like, this looks reasonable, but it's not. So don't take it. Is it, it, is this the same it, card? It's it's even worse than that because there were aggressive, very aggressive pairings with red in that format, and I played that card once or twice over the course of two hundred drafts and sealed. Reckless Wife really wasn't that. It, it just flips into something that trades with everything. So I, I was particularly not interested in that. Uh, another one that I remember being quite bad was Nightbird's Clutches, uh, one in a red for a sorcery. Two target creatures can't block this turn and then flashback three in a red. Like this is our falter effect, but it only stops two creatures. I can cast it again later, but like who cares? You're supposed to win the game when you cast falter. So like this looks like, okay, I'm supposed to be doing aggressive red black things or aggressive red green things. But then once you play it, you're like, this isn't as good as it needs to be to actually finish a game. Now I've lost to the card and I think even won with the card once. But like you look at it and you're like, okay, this is the falter of the format, but it, it's not. It's significantly worse than falter. Um, Harvest Pyre is another card that's worth being aware of. It's one in a red for an instant. 
Exile X cards from your graveyard deals X damage to target creature. You need to be able to fill up your graveyard somehow, but this is instant speed removal. You can't really load a deck with like three or four of these because they obviously get worse in multiples, but most red decks are interested in one, and if you're doing some sort of self-mill and in red, it can get even better. The, the fact that it's instant speed removal and there's just not a lot of that in the format is worth being aware of. Uh, you mentioned Geist Flame. This is better than you think it's going to be. Really? Uh, it's one one red for an instant, one damage to target creature or player, and flashback for three in a red. There are main deck creatures that you will kill with this and then get value on the flashback. If you have to, you can even five mana kill something with two toughness in the same turn. I would have probably just disregarded that card completely unless you actually brought it up here. Yeah, you probably want this. Like A lot of the creatures that are, are killing you in some of the aggressive decks are two ones. So getting this against them is almost just a two for one. Like I want one of these in every red deck and I want two to three of them in the Burning Vengeance deck. Because now all of a sudden I'm turning it into to, to even more damage. Uh, Vampire Interloper looks like it's going to be awesome in an aggressive deck. It's one in a black for a 2-1 flying that can't block. But it just kind of sucks. Because black's not as aggressive as you want it to be. And it can't block anything from green-white. So often you play it and then they attack you with a 4-4 that they put you know uh, flashback counters on. And you're like, what am I going to do? I'll attack for two, and they're like, sure, don't care. Like, And then they'll just prey upon something that can actually block. They're like, ah! Uh, Typhoid Rats, pretty good in most black decks. Uh, it's black for a 1-1 death touch. So I, I was typically pretty happy playing with that card. Um, as we dig through here, Ghoul Razor is actually fairly good if you're in blue-black. I wouldn't take this early. But it's one black black for a 2-2. When it enters the battlefield, return a random zombie from your graveyard to your hand. So once you have 10 zombies, this starts to become interesting. You can't pick which one you get, uh, but you're definitely going to get a zombie back when you cast it. It's, it's, it's not super overpaying for it. So you can't, so remember go, that, can't go looping grave diggers easily. Yeah, it's very difficult to do that. Um, but it, it, it's good. And then as we're getting here into the blue cards, I think I mentioned all of the good blue ones. Uh, Moon Heron's worth mentioning. Like, it's three and a blue for a 3-2. Flyer. It's a snapping drake. That's a good good, good rate. Yeah, that's that's always been a good card, and it's even, I think, even better here. Um, Grasp of Phantasms. Three and a blue for a sorcery. Put target creature on top of its owner's library. Flashback for seven and a blue. Griptide having instant is overrated. <laughs> Yeah, I, I would happily trade instant for the ability to cast it twice. Uh, Fortress Crab, three and a blue for a 1-6. You might think you would never play this card or what's this all about. As I've mentioned, a lot of the blue decks are looking to dirtle. They want to have creatures. They want to kill you in the air or do something with spider spawning. And this is basically a removal spell. Mm. I hope it didn't mean that to me personally because I for sure will play a, a, a four mana 1-6 every <laughs> time. You should, you yeah, should you know will. that. I have... On my wall, behind my monitor, I have hanged up a Foil Inquisitor's Ox right next to a Foil Thriving Ibex. And I'm looking to add the whatever the the, the Merfolk 2-5 for 4 is from Ixalan. Headwater Centuries? Oh yeah, that's going to go right next to the Inquisitor's Ox. Icerock All-Star. 
A deranged assistant may not initially look great. Uh, it's one in a blue for a 1-1. One, one. Tap it, put the top card of your library into your graveyard, add one to your mana pool. This is an early pick because a lot of the blue decks are looking to do self-mill just for value, right? To get flashback cards in the graveyard. It's always a good thing to mill yourself in this format. Mm, right. Unless, you know, your, your library is getting low. Mm. Um, Delver of Secrets is a trap. It's a common. It's in this format. And it's not particularly good glad, because you can't you build that. a deck that's so spell heavy. Yeah, you're, you're going to want to. But this is mostly Mons Goblin Raiders instead of a 3-2 flyer. I am not going to take that card ever. <laughs> well, it might be worth a buck or two for, for Pauper, right? But oh, I might. Yeah, sure. Okay. But I will never put that card in my deck. Yeah. You're usually doing it right if you don't because it's, it's very hard to blind flip it. Um, I didn't mention Voiceless Spirit, but this card is a little better than it looks. It's two and a white for a 2-1 flying first strike. Um, Urgent Exorcism is another sideboard card that I like to have access to. It's one and a white for an instant. Destroy target spirit or enchantment. So you can kind of blow up an enchantment that's bugging you, or it's really good against the spirit decks because you can kind of just destroy them. Um... And I think that takes us through the, the cards that I would want to mention here. Uh, Intangible Virtue is in this set. It's one and a white for an enchantment. Creature tokens you control get plus one, plus one, and have Vigilance. That really wasn't a thing in Triple Innistrad. Once you added in Dark Ascension, if you could get a couple copies of Lingering Souls, you're a luck sack. Mm. But that made this enchantment playable, but it's not really something to go for here. So I think those are kind of the big ones to pay attention to. All right, some really good point is there are some cards that would have probably just ignored or some cards I thought would have been would have been good. So good to know beforehand so I don't just like completely go and uh, shame myself by doing that. <laughs> good, good. I will look forward to seeing you and Ling try this out, and I will certainly be streaming a lot of the Innistrad flashbacks uh, as soon as they're out. Uh, that's going to wrap it up for us this week. Uh, special thank you to Tommy for joining us for the podcast. Thank you for filling in from Dave. All right, thanks for having me. It was great. Where can people find your stuff? Twitch.tv slash and, and how do you spell that? I-S-E-R-O-C. Where did that screen name come from? Oh, back in, uh, it was the year 2000 and let's say, no, it was probably before that, actually. No, let's say 2001, something, somewhere around there. Uh, I needed a screen name, or I needed, uh, it was, it was, we were playing, what, like, Diablo 2 or something, you know, just like, having my uh, first experiences in online playing, like, consistently, not like in a in a lung, but actually like over the internet. And uh, I needed a I needed a nickname and for my character. And since I was very young, I was I didn't have a good imagination. Uh, the way I created the nickname was by smashing my face on my keyboard. <laughs> and then I had to you know remove a couple of letters to make it actually sound like a name. But that's basically where it comes from. But don't tell That's... don't tell Ling that I told a real story because Ling likes to tell the story that I once saw a rock. Because uh... I, I, I see rock. Okay, that that's possibly the uh... best screen name origin I've ever heard. Um, and you're also on Twitter under the same tag, right? Uh, it's uh, at IzerockMTG. At IzerockMTG. Yeah. Okay. Um, and we're going to have you back for sure when there is a vintage cube, and uh, we'll let you kind of lead that discussion because cube, cube is I, I'm a, my specialty. 
That is yeah, that is and I'm a little out of my thing. element there. Oh yeah, yeah. Um, if you want to find my stuff, uh, you can find it at twitch.tv slash Simulan. I'm on Twitter as at Simulan. And also, if you've enjoyed the podcast, consider leaving us a review on iTunes or wherever you find your podcasts. It helps other people find the podcasts. Your homework for this week, tell a friend about the podcast. Find somebody who doesn't know about what we're doing and get them to give it a listen. Thanks for listening, folks. And we will catch you next week here on ManageDeprive.com. Bye-bye.